chapter 52 here. Now, this is the hard part. Because the way the Bible was written, you always got to remember, the Bible was not written for to be dissected for a half hour on a Wednesday night and then come back a week later and be dissected again. The way the Bible is written, you're supposed to sit down and read through it. Isaiah 52 and 53 are some of those chapters that are so interconnected with each other that if you try to split it up, you just can't do it. I, I sat down and I've actually gone through this lesson, I think, four times. And I kept trying to say, okay, how can we do this? Let's try to do all of 52 and 53 it's like, oh, that's too much. Okay, well, we'll try to break it up here. You just can't do it. So Isaiah 53 is arguably the most important chapter in the entire book of Isaiah. I mean, it is the chapter that is all about the Messiah, the suffering Messiah, what he went through for you and I. To, to hit that lightly, to go over it quickly, is to miss it. But at the same time, too, it's so interconnected to chapter 52 that if you try to break it up, this is one beautiful piece of the puzzle that's supposed to go together. And I don't know about you, but you know, I've joked out here before, a lot of the times the way Dawn and I do things, we kind of have the roles reversed. In a lot of ways, I'm like the typical gal and she's like the typical guy. The one way, though, that we are typical guy, typical gal is when it comes to a story, I like, give me the facts Keep it straightforward and simple. And then once you tell me the facts, you can come back and give me all the detail you want later on. If somebody calls me and they're worked up, my first question is, I just need to know, is someone dead or dying? You know, as long as I know that, I can move on to the rest of the stuff. Well, the way she likes to tell stories, I mean, she just likes detail after detail, point after point, everything like that. Yes, round and round in circles. Um, and I know that now. Uh, we've been married almost 14 years. I got it. And I know when I tell her a story, she wants details. It was a cold, dark, and stormy night type thing. She wants that. Isaiah 52 and 53 is a detailed chapter. If you just try to say, here's the high points, here's the high things, you're going to miss out on it. So we need to really stop and say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to tell us in these couple chapters here? And it's absolutely beautiful, and it's absolutely wonderful. Well, a little bit of background here in Isaiah 52. What it's doing in here in the first six verses, it's talking about the history of Israel, them being captive them being a prisoner in the land of Egypt and God coming and setting them free. It carries the context of that Old Testament story, but it also carries the context of when Isaiah was writing, saying, hey, you guys are also going to be held captive by Babylon, but you're going to be eventually set free by them. Well, for us as we go through this, I believe the first six verses talks about us being held captive in sin. That before you got saved, before I got saved, we were just a captive of sin. That's what we were. We were held in captivity by sin. We had chained ourselves up in this sin, and we had to be set free. So the first six verses are about this captivity. For us, sin. We had to be set free from the Lord. Well, this is where verse 7 starts in. Verse 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation. Now, the way we're going to teach this is I really have, here's my notes for tonight. It's a sticky note that has three verses on it. The way we're going to go through this is, let's just talk about this. Just stop and think about this verse 7 for a second. Have you ever stopped and thought how beautiful it is that you're saved? Now, I know for a lot of us, we don't like to get into the hoaxy thing and stuff. I mean, just stop for a second. You are saved. God loves you. It's a beautiful thing. And you get to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So therefore, verse 7, your feet are bringing good news to everybody you run into. We forget this a lot as Christians. 
Even as a Christian like myself that's in ministry, I start getting focused on the ministry side of stuff. Okay, we want to do these outreach things. Do we have everything signed up for this, ready for this? Okay, we got to get the shirts ready for that. Okay, we got VBS coming up in Belmore. Okay, we got VBS coming up in uh, our church, which just reminds me, we do have VBS coming up in Belmore. I forgot to mention that. Sign-up sheets are on the back. I forget that I'm just supposed to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's good news. And see, we forget these things. I forget that I'm supposed to, in verse 7, proclaim peace. I'm supposed to bring tidings, glad tidings of good things. I'm supposed to proclaim salvation. See, think about that. I bet you for you right now, you're thinking about, okay, tomorrow. Tomorrow I have to get up, I have to go to work, I have to do this. No, you don't. Tomorrow you get to get up, and your feet gets to bring good news, peace, glad tidings, and salvation. That's a beautiful thing. And that's why it says how beautiful it is in verse 7. See, when we have this perspective... It totally changes how you live and it totally changes how I live. I was in slavery, verses 1 through 6. I am now set free, verse 7. It's beautiful. It's salvation. And how does it go on? Who says to Zion at the end of verse 7, your God reigns. Now the next time we sing that song in church, remember what that means. It's a beautiful thing that God is living and reigning. And because he's living and reigning, I get to go tell people about Jesus Christ. One of the side things of being a Christian is I have been so blessed and changed by Jesus, I just want to tell people. I was listening to a great teaching today, and the pastor was saying, if you've been saved, don't you want other people to be saved? So therefore, don't you want other people to know? Aren't you one to go tell them about the good news, the glad tidings, the peace, the salvation? Don't you want to tell them that God reigns? Because you know why? Verses 1 through 6, they're in slavery right now. Slavery to sin. You hold the key to unlock that door to let them escape. Now, they have to choose to want them to escape. You can go unlock the door or you want and say, come on with me. They may not want to get out of slavery. They may want to stay in sin. But the point is, you can point them in the right direction. Verse 8, your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. See, the result of being saved, look at this, verse 9, break forth into joy, sing together together. See, that's the purpose of praise and worship is to stop and say, wow, Lord, look at what you've done. Now, I know for a lot of us, I'm willing to bet a lot of you don't have a private, quiet time of praise and worship. I'll be the first one to say that lacks in my area a lot too. But sometimes I think, you know, Lord, it's great to have a time of prayer. It's great to have a time in the Word. But where's my verse 9? Why am I not breaking forth into joy and singing? Because of what God's done. And, you know, a lot of times out here at church with praise and worship, we come in and, you know, music's starting and sometimes we're distracted. There's things going on. There's things going on outside the window. Or sometimes, like me, I'm distracted by, oh, look, I'm not trying to single him out. Tim was back playing guitar. Not me to embarrass you. Great to have Tim back. I spent a good song tonight going, oh, it's nice to have Tim back. You know, okay, what about the words? You know, I mean, and that's what happens is we're so easily distracted on things. And we can be sitting there. My feet can be tapping to the music. My, my mouth could be moving along with the words. But am I stopping into my heart really breaking forth into song because I'm saved? See, sometimes we miss out on this type of stuff. Verse 9, break forth into joy, into singing. See, we've been set free. You know what? If we could go back and go back to the land of Israel, 
and go back to Egypt and be a slave in Egypt with Israel for years and years. I bet you we'd never forget about that slavery. And I bet you when these times would come and people would say, do you remember Egypt? And we'd be like, yeah, let's break forth into singing. We're not in Egypt anymore. See, the problem is some of us still think we're in Egypt. We still think we're slaves. We have been redeemed. We're saved. Let's break forth into joy. Let's break forth into singing. Now, verses 11 to 12, though, are just a quick reminder to us. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. See, now verse 11 is important because I've been brought out of slavery. But every now and then, for some crazy reason, I'd like to go back into slavery. See, you remember when the Jews came out of slavery in Egypt, that they were now in the wilderness, and they would long to go back to Egypt, the Bible would talk about. And they would say, remember back in Egypt. And that's when Moses got mad. He said, you guys want to go back to being a slave? See, this is what happens. Sometimes verse 11, we think back to the world. Man, do you remember what it was like? No, let's not remember what it was like. It's not. We need to depart out of that slavery. And you know what? God chooses his words very carefully. When he decides in verse 11 to repeat a word, he's not doing it because he's stuttering. Depart, depart. Get out of there. Touch no unclean thing. See, this is what I do sometimes, and this is where i got to be careful about. I remember when I was a kid, my parents used to tell me this, and Dawn still tells me this now. We go into one of the nice stores, and I still hear, Jamie, you don't have to touch everything. I like to. I don't know why. I walk by, and it's nothing I'm going to buy. It's nothing I'm going to look at. I will go look at a jewelry store. I don't like jewelry. They're like, would you like to see something? Sure, why not? I'm that type of person. See, so when I see touch no unclean thing, my hands like to touch things. My hand likes to maybe skim the surface of stuff and saying, you know what, this is probably really not a productive thing to watch, listen, go to, be a part of, etc. So I'm really not going to get into it, but I'm just going to skim the surface of it. And see, what God is trying to tell me is, don't even get near it. Look how straightforward verse 11 is. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, be clean. Now, is that not straightforward? And look at the last part. You who bear the vessels of the Lord. See, now how does that apply to us today? The body, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't want the Holy Spirit mission with stuff I shouldn't be messing with. I want to stay away from that junk. Yet, but my flesh wants to go. My flesh wants to get out there and touch it and be a part of it. Because you know why? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the pleasures of sin. See, sin, to be quite honest, for a brief moment in time, is pleasurable. Filled with a lot of regret and guilt. If sin wasn't pleasurable, it wouldn't be a temptation. If you remember years ago, we used this example. And I told you about rhubarb. I hate rhubarb. Rhubarb is not a temptation to me in any way whatsoever. For some of you, if you are on a diet, if I put a rhubarb pie up here, your mouth starts watering and rhubarb just sounds excellent to you. And just the idea of a rhubarb pie just is just you can't imagine it. I hate rhubarb. I've shared with you before. I purposely try to mow it if I see it. I just the idea of rhubarb is disgusting to me. And so rhubarb, if there's a rhubarb piece of pie and someone said, James, there's a rhubarb piece of pie, I don't care if I haven't had supper. I'm not going to go eat it. It is not a temptation to me in any way whatsoever. Now, that is not a pleasurable sin to me. Now, if you said there's a piece of chocolate pie, 
Yeah, I'll go out of my way. See, this is the thing. Something that is a pleasurable sin to you may not be a temptation to me. Something that is a pleasurable sin to me, you may say, you struggle with that? Yeah. See, it's all different. And you know what? The enemy has been watching human nature for 6,000 years. He's really good at starting to read us. He's got 33 years under his belt of watching James Irvin. He knows how to trip me up. So when God says, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, well, yeah, there's certain things that I don't want to touch. There's certain things I just want to grab and lay hold of. See, and so what happens is verse 12. See, now look at this. This is a very interesting verse. You shall not go out with haste nor go by flight. See, verse 12 says, okay, you almost want to get this idea of run. Okay, but here's the problem in the world. There are times to run, and we always use the example of Joseph with Potiphar's wife. He ran. There's good. It's good to run sometimes. But here's the problem with the world. I'll run from one sin and run smack dab into another sin. So I run from this one temptation saying, okay, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, and I turn around. Oh, there's another temptation right there. That's why I love the end of verse 12. The Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. See, God's in front of me, and God's also behind me. So I am cushioned in the bookends of Jesus Christ. So I don't have to worry about this stuff. It goes back to what we talked about on Sunday. I don't have to have sin reign over me because Jesus Christ has already taken care of the sin problem for me. And if I have God in front of me, I don't have to worry about what's coming my way. If I have God behind me, I don't have to worry about a sneak attack from behind. The problem is sometimes as a Christian, I think I got it all figured out and I get off the line. Okay, God, let me go before you for a little bit. No, no, no. Okay, God, now I'm going to straggle behind you for a little bit. No. Or sometimes, God, I'm just going to go my own path. As long as I stay where God wants me and He's in front of me and He's behind me, what do I need to worry about? And that's where it says, stay there. Get away from the sin and stay in this cushion of God in front of us and behind us. Now, we're going to stop here for a second because we changed scenes just a little bit. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about this before we move on here? Yeah, Mark. Yeah, with regards to, uh, you know, be clean, walk, walk in the midst of be clean, you need to bear the message of the Lord. Mm-hmm. In 2 Corinthians 6.17, that's actually a cross-reference to the New Testament believers that we're supposed to come out among unbelievers and not yoke ourselves together with them and act accordingly. We do, and, and that's a, a valid point about sometimes getting yoked in with non-believers and getting dragged down. And it is such a balance. It is such a balance to find there. And that reference was 2 Corinthians 6.17 that I want to be a light and a witness to my friends, families, and coworkers that aren't saved. But at the same time, too, I also don't want to get brought back down to what I used to be. And I, usually what I see in Christianity is two extremes. I see the one extreme of now I'm saved, so I'm never going to talk to anybody that I ever associated with in the past. Well, then you're not letting your light and witness shine because they know what you are like. Let them see your changed life. But then I see the other extreme, too, of where we stay so focused on what we used to do that you can't even tell that the person's been saved or born again. So there is a balance there of coming out from the unclean, but at the same way, too, saying, okay, Lord, I want to still be a light and a witness. And who had the best balance of that? Jesus Christ. He could eat with the tax collectors, the lepers, and the Pharisees, and the prostitutes, but still also say pure as he was God himself. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of times I have an opportunity to share the gospel. Snakes, 
have a negative thought and resist that and some unwelcome, some unbelief. But if I were to let the steps in the way, nothing would be planted. Yeah. You don't need to plant any ground before it gets produced any fruit. Right. Yeah. You want to go scatter seeds where there is nothing growing sometimes. And um, I think sometimes as Christians, I mean, just, you know, take even, you know, us out here, a little church in the country. You know, I can have discipleship class tomorrow, followed by women's Bible study on Friday, not me particularly, then men's Bible study Saturday, then church Sunday, then I can go serve at the, you know, outreach on Monday. Those are all great. But the problem is then you're such in this little shell sometimes of getting fed, which is great. But the problem is if you constantly keep getting fed, you become what I call the fat sheep. The purpose of getting fed is for you to be healthy to go out and feed other sheep then. And that's sometimes what we do as Christians, that we're so focused on us growing and growing and growing, we forget, going back to verse 7, I'm supposed to be spreading the gospel. This is one of my favorite analogies. Do you know why the Dead Sea is dead? Water flows into the Dead Sea, but nothing ever flows out of the Dead Sea. And what happens is the, dead, uh, the way the body of water needs to work, you need to have water coming in and water also going out. The Dead Sea has water flowing in, but there's no place for this water to go out, so the water just sits there and stagnates, and that's why it becomes the Dead Sea. Same thing as Christians. If you're constantly being fed God's Word, that's great. But the reason you're being fed is to go out and feed other people. And that's why we have this great balance here, verse 7, of once again, go out there, spread the gospel, good news, proclaim it. That's the reason and purpose that it's there. So now what happens in Isaiah 52 is it now changes a little bit here. Verse 13, Behold my servant. I got good old New King James, so capital M, capital S. We're dealing with Jesus. Shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Now if we would just stop at verse 13, that'd be great. You know, we would think of uh, you know, the book of Philippians, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we'd have this great image of Christ up in heaven, the ruling, reigning king. And that's what's going to happen, verse 13. Jesus will be exalted. But the problem is we got verse 14. Just as many of you were astonished, so his visage was marred more than any man, his form more than any sons of men. He shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what they had not been told, them they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. See, verse 14 Jesus is marred more than any other man. Verse 14 is that introduction to what chapter 53 is about. It's the suffering Messiah. And you've heard us say out here before that I don't think Hollywood or any movie is ever going to accurately portray really what Christ went through physically on the cross. I mean, just the the beating that he took. Now, I'll read this verse to you, and this is one verse that I think is important to commit to memory. And as you go through chapter 53 here, and once again, you know, we're going to let the Spirit lead. I don't know how much time we're going to have to get through everything tonight. But this is one of these key verses that we need to know. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you, but please mark it down. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Let's read that one more time. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, meaning God the Father made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, this is the whole point of chapter 53. Jesus knew no sin. He became sin for us so that way we could become righteous. Now, we talk about this a lot, usually once a year, I should say. I shouldn't say a lot. Excellent Wednesday. We set aside one day a year to talk about the sufferings of Christ. Well, chapter 53 covers all of it. 
And you've heard us teach out here before, when it comes to the sufferings of Christ, he suffered physically, he suffered emotionally, and he suffered spiritually. So whatever you're going through, if you're going through physical pain, Jesus understands. If you're going through the emotional pains of life, heartbreak, Jesus understands. If you're going through the spiritual pain of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understands. He became sin for us. And so when we go through this, chapter 53, we see what happens here. Verse 1, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Basically, verse 1 is, you know, who's going to believe this almost? This is an amazing story. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. Now, I think that's a very important verse. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is going to grow up as a tender plant, a root out of dry ground. The idea of Christ didn't come as a 33-year-old man. He was born as a baby. Now, I know this is all straightforward Christianity. This is nothing new here. But you have to look at this wording. See, this perspective of verse 2, God the Father is looking at Jesus as this tender plant that's growing up before him. See, I sometimes get in this mindset of almost this business relationship between God the Father and Jesus. Almost this discussion in heaven of, okay, what are we going to do? Okay, I'm God the Father. Jesus, I'm sending you down. You take care of this sin problem. Uh, Holy Spirit, once I'm done using Jesus, you just go around and start empowering people and leading them to me. Everybody got it? Okay, let's set our watches and do it. See, there is a relationship between them. We forget this relationship of father to son. And I can look at this verse 2, and I look at my four boys, and I was just talking to somebody earlier today about you know pictures. I mean, we have pictures of everything that's ever happened. We have videos of everything that's ever happened. I get home, and one of the first things we do is we talk about what happened for the day. If you go into my office, my uh, one bulletin board is just full of pictures. Why? Because I have some very tender plants growing up in front of me at home. I don't want to miss a single thing about it. See, God the Father had that same heart towards Christ the Son. And I personally believe that we miss out on this. And maybe, maybe I'm preaching to myself on here. Maybe you guys have never missed out on this. I miss out on this. I miss out on that relationship of father to son because I make it so businesslike. I make it so, you know, just die, Jesus. That's your job. But when you look at verse 2, God the Father saw this coming up. What a beautiful picture. And look at the description of Christ. Verse 2. He has no form or, or comeliness or splendor or appearance. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus, verse 2, was really just kind of plain. He was just a good Jewish boy. We had a, he had a beard, we know that. And he just was a nice guy. There was nothing about him in verse 2 that would make you say, wow, that's the Messiah. You know, it's been joked before, his head didn't glow like they did in those 15th century paintings. And you know, it always seems like whenever they portray Jesus in Hollywood, boy, they get some good-looking people to portray Jesus. And they look nothing like a Middle Eastern person I think should ever look. Jesus was the whitest person I've ever walked, obviously, according to Hollywood. And he had a really nice trim beard and really nice hair. Verse 2 it was almost like if you could put a thousand young Jewish men in the room, you probably couldn't pick out the Messiah, just on appearance, that is. There was nothing about him that you would stop and say, 
that guy is the Son of God. Now, why is this a big deal? Because sometimes I think me, one person out of six billion, who really cares? I mean, really, we're, we're nothing in the whole scheme of things. And we stop and we say, we're nothing. Does anybody really notice? I mean, could I disappear off the face of the world for a little bit? How long would it take anybody to even really notice? Did anybody really care if I have a good day or a bad day? And I think Jesus up in heaven says, yeah, I, I can understand that. Yeah, Jesus, you're the Son of God. He goes, yeah, but when I walk this earth, there's nothing spectacular about me. I wasn't the tallest. I wasn't the biggest. I wasn't the nicest looking. I would not have been elected homecoming king. He was just Jesus, the son of Mary, and to the world, the son of Joseph. And he lived his life for 30 years that way, of just being Jesus, of knowing what it's like to just be somebody. Yeah, John. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I would check that out. That's probably Book of John right around uh, chapter 1 and 2 to take that look at that. I can't remember the exact reference. But uh, there was something about Jesus of where, once again, nothing spectacular was about it. I remember, wasn't it when Jesus went before King Herod? That King Herod basically was like, this is the guy. You know, this is the guy. And, you know, when you stop and you think about it, I remember in the book of Acts when the apostles went before the Sanhedrin. And they said, these men have turned the world upside down. They're just fishermen. And you remember that great comment about them? They just, paraphrase, they just hung out with Jesus. See, that's the thing is, you're a nobody, I'm a nobody. If you look at verse 2, verse 2 is a great way to describe all of us. There is no splendor in our appearance. There is no beauty that anybody should desire us. But God sure likes us. And you know what? You take that devotion and that attention for the Lord. I heard a teaching today, too, where they said in a span of 300 years that Christianity brought down, in some ways, the Roman Empire, if you will. In a span of years, they said the world was turned upside down by these people. Man, whatever happened to that? You know, have we turned our families upside down for Christ? Have we turned our workplaces upside down for Christ? Have we turned our communities upside down for Christ? See, we're nothing too. Verse 2, there's nothing about us. But yet, God loves us. And that's why I sent Jesus down down the cross for us. So, hate to cut it off there because there's so much in Isaiah 53, but that, that's the hard part about this chapter is finding a place to stop. But we'll pick it up in verse 3 of next week there. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything that we uh, talked about before we close up? All right. Lord, we come to you now and we just want to pray that tomorrow, tonight, Lord, we want to be those feet bringing good news to everybody we run into, Lord. We want to proclaim peace. We want to bring glad tidings of good things. We want to proclaim salvation, Lord. Help us be lights and witnesses for you in all ways and all things. Lord, if there's someone here tonight that is struggling, Lord, give them the strength to depart, to touch no unclean thing. Help us to remember we are vessels of you and all we say and all we do, Lord. And Lord, there is nothing attractive in us, but you love us. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.